No, 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 19. 7.15 a.m. Siri? I'm listening. What's a caucus? Here's what I found. Can you read it to me? A caucus is a meeting of supporters or members of a specific political party or movement. Do you want me to keep reading? Yes, please. The term originated in the United States, but has spread to Australia, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, and Nepal. Nepal? Oddly specific. Is that everything, Siri? Yes. Hmm. Let me just uh, let me just put her in a drawer. <laughs> it seems lately like Siri's getting a little dumber. Like maybe cultural osmosis is taking place and wearing her down or something. Because she was way sharper. You know, back in episode 8, when I asked her to help me explain the patriarchy to a six-year-old. I mean, she had some really good ideas then, right? I'm not just imagining that. But anyway, here we are. The Democratic primaries are underway. We got there, people. The eyes of the world have descended on Iowa once more. In this... Our fourth year of pain under the treacherous imposter king Donald Trump. Such a big moment. So many people are stressed out by this administration. The blatant graft, the incompetence, just the epic world of corruption with actual prison convictions just around him. It's just incredible. You know it. Utterly depressing. But then... If you still think we live in a democracy, and la 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 la, we all want to believe that it's true, despite all the evidence to the contrary, but if we do still have a democracy, then oh my god, Iowa, it was here and it was so important. It's the beginning of the nation's chance to correct what happened in 2016. Look, I know it was a few weeks ago now, and we're uh, just about to hit Super Tuesday, but with Andy's podcast, a podcasting podcast, I'm trying to review every podcast in the world. And since there are a lot of political podcasts to get through, I think going deep to try and check out what the podcast world looked like covering the Iowa caucuses is a good way for me to compare a load of shows on one singular topic. Also, with the attention span of the news cycle being totally fucked and pretty appalling, uh, you know, it's just... Basically, quick takes boiled down to a series of ranty opinion pieces from pundit clowns. You know, outright fascists on the right and co-opted handmaidens of Mark Fisher's vampire castle on the left. You know, the mostly pro-war, rich, status quo shills who keep turning up on CNN and MSNBC and all that kind of stuff. And they all have the substance and depth of a lingering fart in an airport corridor. But that's the good thing about podcasting. It's the great equaliser. We get a variety and plurality of voices. And the potential for in-depth reporting um, that can be reached without time constraints 
and the financial motivations of the money-drunk news cycle uh, means that we get something like Serial. And then we all know how that exploded, how it did. And it's also why a three-hour conversation with Joe Rogan or Mark Maron that scratches below the surface is important and incredibly popular. Because there's a need for a deeper and more intelligent truth that can not be found on your sponsored quick takes from NPR, MSNBC or Fox. So how was Iowa covered? And um, what the hell is this Iowa place anyway? I know it's like supposed to be like this amazing American heartland, but I think even just describing it in these terms is lazy fucking nonsense. I mean, it's just everything. I mean, the whole country, everything. Everything we do is wrapped up in so many myths. Democracy myths, farmer myths, Norman Rockwell nostalgia myths. There's, there's just there's so much that you can unpack and figure out if you want to read and give it a go. So Iowa, I mean, first up, it's a very reliably conservative place, a traditional Republican territory. But then again, wait a minute, in 2018, three of the four congressional districts in Iowa went to Democrats, with two of them flipping from Republican incumbents. That was great, a big slap in the face to Trump from the supposed heartland. But then again, that other district... The one that didn't flip, the fourth, is the most Republican. The biggest section of farmer land. I mean, they really booked the trend and they actually re-elected the white supremacist bad boy Steve King through an eighth term. Confederate flag on his desk. Even though Iowa was with the Union in the Great Slave War. I mean, Steve King, who has somehow successfully peddled a message of racial hatred and white originality on a land stolen from the Indians through an endless series of broken treaties and massacres. It's a constituency that hasn't attempted a serious political action since the farmers' holiday strike in 1932, but has yet seen family farming slowly and steadily be crushed to the point that individual farmers are now imprisoned in a bewildering tangle of production credits, loan repayments, seed patent laws, and emergency federal appropriations. Growing food shouldn't be so hard. I mean, the Stone Age people who came before the weird zealots who wrote the Bible figured it all out pretty much. But then again, they didn't have to deal with the tendency towards crippling corporate monopoly that comes with late-stage capitalism. So these people, the farmers of Steve King's district, and, you know, they're typical of many populations in the South. Um, they exist in a manufactured state of cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, um, they are hard-working, freedom-loving, independent, God-fearing farmers. And yet, in reality, they're only actually maintained on their land by gigantic billion-dollar socialist handouts from the government. And they are immune from the knowledge or irony of this, because like all Stockholm Syndrome captives, their existence and identity is caught up in this devious Republican money trap. But they're also the first and loudest to scream that the government is the enemy. They're radicalised in their ignorance by a constant stream of talk radio and Fox News, effectively reducing and literally shouting every argument down to black and brown people are the problem and abortion at any stage is murder. 
And much like District 11 in something like The Hunger Games, most people of District 4 Iowa are blissfully ignorant of the world outside their church barbecue. I'm not being rude, and there will be links in the transcript of this show to uh, many articles uh, reporting on Steve King's constituency, so you can read about them in their own words at your leisure. So how do you conceptualise this Iowa? A people who exist on a socialist agriculture subsidies, but are somehow kept in line, pushing the button for the Trumps and McConnells, chained like dogs to their supper bowls, barking at any brown people or immigrants they see, in direct contradiction to the Gospels they pretend to fucking follow. So that's part of the Iowa story. But then you also have this caucus system, with its recent history of shady incompetence. You know what I'm talking about. 2016, the Bernie and Hillary shit show. A very close race, we're told. Which had a lot of interesting and bizarre stuff, like the solitary caucus goer in Woodbury County number 43, who voted for Bernie, but they still managed to count it wrong. And then there was Knoxville District 3, another small one, a hundred and so people, um, documented as a 58 for Bernie, 52 for Clinton, but the official state delegates gave five to Hillary and none to Bernie. And then we had the Des Moines Register and the Atlantic magazine reporting that Hillary won a statistically unlikely six perfect coin tosses. Um, But then they pulled all those stories over the next couple of days. And um, when uh, all the attention had moved on and some journalists went back to check in on it, um, they actually reversed the story and said it was Bernie who'd won six perfect coin tosses. So after the 2016 shit show, you know, the DNC and the Iowa Democratic Caucus really needed to get their stuff together. I mean, a presidential election was hacked. Uh, The FBI intervened during an election in a way which directly supported a madman running around the country screaming locker up about a woman who was ultimately proven totally innocent. Um, while he sits at the centre of an epic constellation of criminality. So we've spent the last four years in hell, and the constant refrain from the DNC in the liberal world is that Hillary won the popular vote, and that the DNC are the good guys. Um, So, of course, things have got to be different and better this time. I mean, they had to be. I mean, they couldn't be any worse. They can't keep giving Trump wins. Surely, and you know, the signs are there. We're a shell-shocked nation on the brink of despair. You can do it, Iowa. You've got this one. We're going to need your pitchforks in November. Let's get democracy right in the greatest nation on earth. This isn't some crazy backwater dictatorship. Iowa is a four-letter word. Last night's chaos and confusion with the caucuses continued into today. One campaign source says that the results app that they were using, this was a new app that they were supposed to be reporting each result from each precinct location around the state, uh, has not been working. And they're... The, the phone backup system that they had in place, according to one source, is a disaster. There are still so many questions about what happened in Iowa. And our Tom Yamas was in the room in Iowa as officials there apologize. So, so Tom, just to start us off, give us a sense of the anatomy of a, of a botched caucus, if you will, how this all played out. It's review. 
Reviewing 11 shows today, political news podcasts that have had something to say about the 2020 Iowa caucuses, nine new shows, and a quick return look at Pod Save America and Chapel Trap House from my buddy Claxton, returning to our uh, conversation about our reviews of those shows, which we covered in episode six. So, first up, Caucusland from Iowa Public Radio. This show is hosted by Clay Masters and Kate Payne, and they live and work in the region. So, you know, you guess they really should have the local knowledge and contacts to produce a decent insight scoop on uh, what happened. There are 20 episodes of this pod, and it starts back in July 2019, and it focuses on building up to this much-anticipated vote. There's some interesting episodes on gun policy in the caucuses, and uh, how candidates have gone out and cultivated the farm caucus. And the whole run begins with a recap of the uh, fiasco of the 2016 caucus, and the uh, stuff that happened with Rick Santorum in the one before that. It's good, solid work from a National Public Radio subsidiary on the ground. And like you would expect from NPR, they take and swallow all the guff from the politicians in the DNC and just politely amplify the message that ruffles no feathers. They sound, you know, really solid and earnest, and their final show um, is called Caucus Meltdown. And I could be crazy, but it sounds like in this show that they're a little annoyed with the answers that they have to report for why the Des Moines Register and CNN pulled the usually highly credible and important final poll um, from the usually reliable Jan Selzer right on the night before the caucuses were about to begin. Because this was the first fuck-up in a damning series of incredible fuck-ups that was to keep the uh, political world consumed for the next week. It seems there was one pollster in the polling team who may have not had uh, Budigich's uh, name on the polling questions for one house. So, uh, somehow the mayor of Bend, uh, this former employee of McKinsey and Company, a candidate that really should have zero chance in such a star-studded political field, somehow um, developed the political muscle to get CNN to ditch um, hours of programming and the Des Moines Register to throw its hands up in the, about their big, expensive poll on the eve of the caucuses. A little weird. All the other polls um, leading up to the caucuses had Sanders way out in front, and Warren and Biden trailing close behind. And when you listen to the uh, reporters on this podcast, it feels like you can almost hear a little incredulity as they repeat the establishment line that, uh, oh well, it was just a mistake. As if they're a little bit suspicious of the series of epic shambles breaking around them is starting to rock their journalistic programming, as pretty much outlined in uh, Chomsky and Herman's seminal Manufacturing Consent. So Caucusland um, from Iowa Public Radio, an in-depth review of the build-up to the Iowa caucuses in 2020 that ends in a sort of huge journalistic confused shrug. It gets two stars and a magic cow. 
Next up is Useful Idiots from Rolling Stone. This is a politically weekly review show from Matt Taibbi and Katie Halper. Matt is a journalist and author, very much in the mould of Hunter S. Thompson. The real star of the show I'm finding, though, is uh, Katie Halper. She's a journalist and filmmaker from the Upper East Side. Uh, a wonderful, witty, secular Jew who has actually gone on Fox News to defend Ilhan Omar from smears uh, from the increasingly fascist APAC. So, yeah, she's great. And she has her own show on WBAI, uh, the Katie Halper show, that I'm looking forward to checking out. So the Useful Idiots podcast does a great job of rounding up the weekly news and trying to find the funny uh, in a daily show kind of way. With deeper takes possibly turning up the irreverence dial a couple of notches and certainly uh, wrapping the humour into a more uh, solid political left-wing worldview. They also do a good job of republishing or summarising main events and highlights from the, from the Twitter sphere. So if you're not on Twitter, uh, you'll certainly benefit from uh, hearing this hour of podcast every week. And they also uh, occasionally aggregate content from other places, like this from The Daily Show, which is particularly brilliant, and I would have missed pointing out uh, Amy Klobuchar's uh, robotic-type repeating of her one joke. The president actually sent out a tweet. He made fun of me for talking about climate change in the middle of a blizzard, and he called me Snow Woman. So I wrote back, hey, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. So I wrote back, hey, Donald Trump, the science is on my side, and I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. So I wrote back, Donald Trump, the science is on my side. And I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. Sometimes, if you haven't noticed, you use a little humor. Like when he called me Snow Woman at my announcement in the middle of that thing, I wrote back on Twitter, I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. So I wrote back, hey, Donald Trump. So I wrote back, uh, hey, Donald Trump. So I wrote back. I wrote back. I tweeted back. The, the science, science is on, on my, my side. side. And I'd like to see and how I'd your like hair to would fare. And I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. And I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. Mr. Umbrella Mr. Umbrella Man. And he called me Snow Woman. So I wrote back, I'd like to see how your hair would fare in a blizzard. That was from The Daily Show. So their Iowa coverage was particularly good on the failed app from the acronym Shadow Company. And they had Lee Feng on the show, who's a journalist from The Intercept, who's really led uh, the reporting on the background and development of this app that is tied to all the major centrist Clinton Democrats who continue to fail upwards in the party. And there's even a connection, interestingly, to um, the backers and hosts of Pod Save America, which is, you know, another fascinating development in that podcasting's having, you know, real influence in our political moment. You know, Chapel Trap House is basically key in building uh, Bernie Sanders' ground force army. And now you've got Podsave, 
very much tied to the creation of a failed app that began the destruction of the Iowa caucuses. I mean, it's fascinating to see where this is going to go. So Useful Idiots gets five stars, two thumbs up, and a dude. Dude! Next up, we have uh, Pantsuit Politics from Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers. Two former lawyers and mums from Kentucky. Their show's tagline is, Let's Disagree with Grace. I'm pretty sure they're using grace in its meaning as courteous goodwill, rather than some egotistical Christian interpretation of manifesting divinity. Um, And it's a good show. It started in 2015 and became an attempt to remind people how to be kind while talking politics in the era of the Republican Party's final lurch into overt white supremacist authoritarianism. So their thing is that Sarah is on the left and Beth is on the right, but they manage to uh, converse with grace and find more in common than is usually possible under the reductive barrage of political propaganda that seeks to inflame and divide us and narrow our discourse into cul-de-sacs of hate while donating to our favourite brand of the plutocracy. So I suppose one of the big things about the show uh, that has happened is that Beth has actually stopped being a Republican and has become a registered Democrat over the past couple of years. Her Never Trump red line was um, the evil separation of families at the border. I think she's a true love thy neighbour Christian, which is refreshing for an atheist like myself to hear because of the mainstream evangelical power in this country. It's anything but nice, to say the least. I do like this show a lot, and I'm uh, happy uh, that it's very popular. It's wonderfully pro-woman, working to increase female participation in politics, both on a personal level with conversation and uh, as inspiration for women to take part and run in democracy directly by running for office. What really strikes me in many of the shows is their shared horror of the current administration and the daily gaslighting of America by both political parties. They're almost on the brink of tears numerous times, uh, dealing with the stress, lies and jarring unpleasantness of the moment. Maybe this is something that we have to be thankful for Trump for, because he's unmasked the evil behind the GOP, and he's shown regular Americans a dark side of poverty and inequality that existed for millions when Obama was in power, but, you know, we managed to ignore. And as the tagline goes, they step nimbly and kindly upon political issues and tread gently wherever they go. So with their Iowa show, they travelled to the caucuses in person and they spoke to Iowans and found that there was a lot of stress on the good people of Iowa who really, really wanted to do right by America. And it was, you know, a very tough choice. They were very enamoured of the caucus process, uh, but didn't get very deep into considering how ultimately undemocratic it is, you know, since it takes a long time to do. So for poor working people with kids, it's almost impossible to attend. And since it's in public, um, the, the communities of small towns, you know, silence divergent voices in hundreds of small ways. I mean, I'm guessing as a woman living in the patriarchy, you're not wanting to go into a room uh, with powerful men who you've had runs in before uh, to wrangle for a candidate to the men or the community doesn't like. 
For example, someone trying to legalize pot. For example, someone trying to legalize pot. Or get rid of the unnecessary medical insurance scam. So they did present a sort of uh, Norman Rockwell take on the whole thing. But it was very good in its own way, if lacking depth of history, class awareness, or intersectionality. So that's just their Iowa show, though. Their other shows, uh, their regular shows, which are more studio-based, are much deeper researched and a lot better with more substance. So I urge you to check those out. They regularly pick apart the nonsense from both sides of the political bullshit factory. And it's really quite refreshing. For example, um, their take on socialism and the Red Scare nonsense that equates it with 1930 communist dictatorships. Because they called Obama a socialist, they called Martin Luther King a socialist. And they weren't trying to take away people's rights and re-nationalise every business in America. So Pantsuit Politics gets five stars, two thumbs up, and a rhinoceros from Eugene Ionesco's play of the same name, since they are definitely sat in their sweet Kentucky homes, suddenly aware of the appearance of a lot of rhinos. Next up is the Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, I've avoided this guy. He's a uh, right-wing writer and commentator. And honestly, you have to limit yourself uh, in exposure to these clowns. Or it just feels like you're trapped in a maze of hatred and lies. So I've read a bunch of articles on him that flatter him as this major right-leaning intellect. This male Ayn Rand for the millennial age. And the common theme among his boosters are that he makes some good points and he's occasionally funny. And it's usually white guys who say this and you can normally, you know, follow them on social media and comment threads and Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and you don't really have to look long uh, to see their posting history that slides quickly down the uh, Make America Great Confederate flag-waving rat hole to... QAnon bullshit, or the white Christian supremacy of our American evangelical Taliban. So I've listened to his Iowa show and delved back into the catalogue for a few hours here and there, and it's pretty fucking hilarious, because this great intellect is literally nothing more than the male Tommy Lehrer from Fox. I mean, people just aren't so quick to dismiss him, I think, because he's a man. He's just spouting classic Reagan-era conservatism. He's Bill O'Reilly in Younger Flesh. He has a few stock voices, uh, which he uses to mock and mimic left commentators and other journalists. And, uh, and every five minutes in his show, he's selling something. Really, literally, every five minutes, he's like telling you to buy pearls from his favourite pearl merchant, or he's got a great deal on suspenders or something. It's it's nuts. He's a lot like the pod save guys in these moments, you know, uh, who were always fucking selling shit on their show. So with his Iowa show, he was naturally really happy and excited with the Democratic Party spectacularly fucking up. And his big point was, these people want to manage universal health care? They can't even manage an election! Yeah, I know. Um... It's clear from watching the build-up to the primary that the DNC do not want Medicare for All. 
I mean, they've actually had meetings to strategize about stopping burning. It was reported in the New York Times, The Hill, pretty much everywhere. And now primaries are well underway and uh, mainstream media and the Democratic Party are repeating all the GOP talking points, misrepresenting the affordability of Medicare for All, uh, ignoring the vast uh, expense and inequality in the current system, and hyping up the Red Scare narrative. I mean, it's crazy. So on the one hand, the DNC doesn't want Medicare for All. They're the ones who ran the fiasco in Idaho. And on the other hand, nobody's going to put fucking Troy Price, the leader of Iowa Democrats, in charge of fucking universal health care. He shouldn't be in charge of fucking anything ever again. Except maybe I'm going to be watching out for that because I've got a sneaking suspicion Troy Price, who just resigned, might become one of these constantly inept centrist Democrats that somehow miraculously managed to fail up in the glorious orbit of David Plouffe. So Ben Shapiro uh, is basically Bill O'Reilly's mini-me. On the Iowa show, he spent a lot of time reading out an article from Nate Silver's uh, 538 polling blog. So what you can see is that the intellectual quality is set so fucking low on the right by Fox News and fucking racist scum like Rush Limbaugh that just reading a polling article from Nate Silver makes you sound like a fucking genius. And so, of course, we learn that Nate Silver points out that the real person to benefit from the Iowa fiasco is Joe Biden, the centrist the DNC uh, can control and want to coronate in this election so he can run against Trump. And then whoever wins, the corporations and the lobbies and the can keep their money. Anyway, uh, the Ben Shapiro podcast, uh, not very impressed. One star and the powerful roaring of a lion of intellect. Put him up. Put him up. <laughs> My goodness, what a fuss you're making. Well, naturally, when you go around picking on things weaker than you are, why, you're nothing but a great big coward. You're right. I am a coward. Next up is a show called The Daily Circus. This is uh, from two guys called Red and Zed. They're doing a pantsuit politics sort of thing. They're basically uh, two friends from across the political divide coming together to share their takes on our troubled times while trying to have a laugh and still be friends. So, yeah, these guys are definitely going for uh, laughs more than uh, pantsuit politics. But to be honest, I listened to a number of their shows and I neither laughed nor felt particularly enlightened by their conversation. Zed on the left sounds sort of depressed and exhausted, and so he sort of just uh, sits back and lets his Republican friend babble out received opinion from Fox News and Rush Limbaugh without much critical examination. So on one episode, you know, on the Iowa caucus episode, um, he gets to define socialism um, in a ridiculous scaremongering way as being uh, forced equality, suggesting that a socialist is someone who would uh, take a coat and rip it to pieces and give everyone a piece of a non-working coat. I mean, it's just utterly tedious and annoying to hear Zed held hostage to his friend's ignorance. Because, you know, socialism isn't going to destroy your coat 
or make you all live in the same box houses and eat the same shitty food from McDonald's and Walmart. That's advanced stage capitalism. Socialism is more like, as Bill Maher uh, first enunciated, it's more like capitalism plus. It's taking the system at its word and using the vast surpluses of capital to increase the underlying quality of life for everyone. It's building roads, it's feeding kids, it's making sure everyone has the basics of healthcare. It's England and Canada and Denmark and Sweden and Germany and Holland and Korea and Australia. The gulag is in your fucking head, dude. And it's been put there by Fox and Rush and the GOP. And you know they've been bought by the big corporations' lobbies to keep us all divided and crushed under their iron heel. Red and Z and the Daily Circus is not as good as Pantsuit Politics. Um, maybe their back catalogue has a, some actual funny shows. They get uh, two stars and a clown nose. Okay, next up is one called The Potentium Podcast. This is a fun one. It's a weekly review show that does a shouty, kind of left-leaning take on all the news. He's like a radio shock jock, but I don't want to compare him to Rush Limbaugh or Alex Jones uh, because those guys are subhuman scum. What uh, this guy does uh, rather well is he reaches a height of wonderful, incandescent, sweary and fabulous rage, um, which, which, which can be very funny and also very cathartic to listen to. Here he is. Iowa caucuses. Oh, my God. These, I tell you, these fucking Democrats. I got a lot of problems with you people. Yeah, a lot of problems. That's why I hate when, whenever I make fun of Trump on the internet or somebody, somebody comes in and calls me a Democrat. Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not a fucking Democrat. I lean left, okay? No, no. These stupid motherfuckers, this Iowa caucus bullshit, as if they needed anything else this week. Unreal. Even with Iowa in chaos, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg arrived in New Hampshire determined to take a victory lap. Well, you know what? He deserves it now. I mean, when this report came out, okay, only 62% of the vote came out on the night everything was supposed to come out. They fucked everything up. I don't even understand this whole thing anyway. Who the fuck cares what a handful of fucking Iowa hicks say before everybody else? I don't even know, I don't even know what this is for. It doesn't make any sense to me. Another thing from his show is he's got into this hilarious feud with another comedy podcast called uh, Damaged Goods. And uh, his takedown of their show is an absolute treat to listen to. He just rips these guys apart uh, about their appalling, basic, repetitive, jock humor shtick. And for me, as a reviewer of podcasts, I'm actually in awe of his ability to really let himself cut loose on these guys. So his take on Iowa included a laser beam focused quick take of Pete Buttigieg. Because, you know, while all the bland talking heads of NPR and the mainstream were bumbling around, you know, who is this mayor from Bend, Indiana? How did he get here? Who are these McKinsey people he's working with? And what happened in the wine cave? Uh, we're waiting to hear from the money if we are going to be favourable for him. He did say he was for Medicaid, but now he's not. So maybe we'll give him a chance. No, this guy on uh, Potentium cut refreshingly to the chase and clearly and eloquently pointed out that the country is nowhere near evolved enough to elect a gay man. I mean, the stranglehold the southern churches, both black and white, have 
on politics down south is amazing. They're never going to go with a gay guy. No way. I mean, I live in Maryland, nine miles from the White House, and we put up a rainbow flag when Pence got in power, and we had hate mail through the door within a week in liberal, socialist-leaning Maryland. There is absolutely no fucking way he's got a chance in churchland. So, yeah. So, yeah. Please give the Potential Podcast a listen if you want uh, more laughs and, I think, more bite than Joe Rogan. Give it, give it a shot. Five stars, uh, two thumbs up, and some energy. Okay, what's left? Next up is the Young Turks. Um, okay, so uh, the Young Turks is a kind of a big deal. Uh, they're a podcast, and their podcast is an audio version of their huge YouTube political TV show, which now I think actually airs on some TV channels. It's a progressive left take on all the news, hosted by Genk Uger, John Ayadarola, and Anna Kasparian. Yes, we have another brilliant young female journalist commentator here because Anna is an absolute force and a joy to listen to. So the shows cover a lot the same ground as Chapel Trap House and also a lot of the same ground as Useful Idiots. But with it being a live TV show, it has more of a straight-edge newsroomy kind of feel. And their Iowa coverage certainly highlighted in real time all the many inconsistencies in the vote totals as they were happening, of which there were many. And they noted how they all seem to favour the establishment and hide the fact of Bernie winning the popular vote, just denying him the real prize of Iowa, which is a boost in momentum and uh, the perception of electability. It was very interesting seeing the mainstream media downplaying Bernie's victory, uh, ignoring it in many cases. You'd almost think Warren and Klobuchar did great. And um, then they, you know, began to focus on this thing called state delegate equivalents, which involves the strange, funky math that somehow translate to the person not winning the popular vote uh, can claim victory. And then um, the weird drip, drip, drip from the Democratic Party just releasing little batches of votes, bumping up the total as long as possible, keeping chance of Bernie uh, claiming a clear victory as long as possible out of the media. Because it was interesting, all the votes in this funky math for Pete came mostly from Steve King's rural uh, Third Reich District 4. They were the only ones curiously appearing in the drip-drip vote totals that kept coming out to dominate the soup, to dominate the news cycle, and steal a publicity bump for the popular senator from Vermont. So um, the Young Turks were very good on this and um, very good on tracking down and following up um, everything that was happening with the vote total reporting as uh, most news was moving on to New Hampshire and just throwing up their hands and saying, well, we'll never know, Iowa. We'll never know what you wanted and we'll never know who won. But possibly four people won. So very good work. Uh, The Young Turks gets five stars, uh, two thumbs up, and uh, some champagne. The good stuff. Okay, what's next? Okay, yes, we've got left, right, and center from NPR and uh, KCRW in Southern California. 
So, yes, this is a shit ton better than most NPR political coverage who seem to be, in my opinion, constantly falling over themselves to normalise Trump 24-7 and keep people off the streets. So it's better, but it's not saying much. It's very, very centrist. Almost every viewpoint is palatable to the rich uh, think tank centrists who are paid by uh, the big lobbies. In fact, I, I think this show should really be called Centrist, Centrist, Centrist. Because the name itself makes you think that you're going to hear a plurality of viewpoints. But you know what? They're actually not getting uh, Richard Spencer or Steve King or Rush Limbaugh or any Trump people on the right. Um, and they're not countering it with uh, any actual leftist. It's, it's kind of a lot like Pod Save America. Rich people talking to each other in a rich bubble who, while they, you know, preach to the choir from gilded pulpits... Um, that, you know, we don't really want socialism and we don't really know what socialism means. And real change can never, never be achieved. That's why you have to never vote for real change. It's kind of hypnotic, um, their messaging, once you start listening to a lot of political shows. So for the Iowa show, they had on a guest, uh, a professor, Richard Hansen from UC Irvine, who's got a book out called Election Meltdown, which I haven't read yet, but I've got it on order at my library. Yeah, another socialist program we all enjoy. Um, but hearing him talk, uh, he certainly seems to be pointing to America being fully on the threshold of being a plutocracy if we're not, in fact, already there. So while this show has people like Richard Hansen on, it's sort of intellectualized and dismembered uh, from actual politics with an underlying assumption that um, you don't actually want your gardener to vote for their own interests which kind of uh, sums up um, the Democrats in a nutshell. Paying lip service to democracy while addicted to the cash of the plutocracy and ultimately happy, I think, to lose elections because the money keeps coming either way. The people who lost to Trump in 2016 are the same fuckers now trying to work their wizardry to elect Bloomberg and Biden. So yeah. Left, right, and center. The next one's uh, what I've just said now pretty much goes for also the Reliable Sources podcast, which is a CNN TV show cut for podcast form uh, with uh, Brian uh, Stelter, who's the chief media correspondent for CNN, who looks uncannily like George Costanza, and he basically pushes the centrist line and everything too. Um, their Iowa show... Uh, had on it a, a writer for Nate Silver's uh, 538 blog, uh, Claire Malone, uh, who'd actually been on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire. And they made some polite, sheepish predictions about the future of Iowa after the screw-up. And they had a, a, a nice, polite discussion about why nobody trusts the mainstream media anymore in a way that ignored the fact that they're literally operating from a place of privilege for a white upper middle class audience at one point um brian actually rails against how negative the mood is everywhere on both sides of the political spectrum and he starts railing how they were hoping that biden would inspire people but then he, he actually utterly ignores the fact that there is a movement based on positive energy 
forming around Medicare for All. So it's fascinating. And you could use any clip of, uh, of Brian and his smug, sneering tone uh, to illustrate any chapter from uh, Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. So these two pods, uh, Center, 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 and Brian Stelter's uh, reliable plutocracy take on the politics, gets uh, one star and uh, a vampire castle. Because they are the vampires in the vampire castle, as identified in Mark Fisher's brilliant essay, Exiting the Vampire Castle. They are neoliberal commentators who think they are on the left, occupying the high ground of the moral social centre because they do not like Trump. But they also equally hate anyone who tries to raise class consciousness to a point of actually getting gardeners, nannies and the working poor to actually vote in their own interest to bring about meaningful change. This is Andy's phone. Leave a message. The thing that makes me happy about the whole Iowa fiasco is uh, how it's exposed the media for their efforts to downplay Bernie's success. Uh, in both Iowa and New Hampshire, they've really downplayed uh, how, how Bernie did. Um, in Iowa, with very slim margins, they were happy to call, to, to call the, the win for Buttigieg. Even though, even in delegate terms, they actually, I think, will come out with pretty much the same number of delegates. At most, maybe one will have one more delegate. I think it'd be like 11 to 10 or something like that. Um, but they ran as though it was a real clear victory for one side. Even though, with such a close margin, you'd have to have 100% tallied to be able to call it. But that didn't bother them. The whole point was to deny Bernie uh, the chance to claim victory. And in New Hampshire, you saw the ridiculousness of like, uh, you know, Buttigieg uh, outperforms or um, Klobuchar, strong third, media narrative, all in a way to discredit uh, Bernie's significance. Um, I think the media have overplayed their hand to such a point where I actually think it's actually beneficial to Sanders because uh, I think viewers are, are, are noticing this and are reacting to it. And I think that's a positive. If at the end of the day, after this whole mess, uh, Iowa is no longer uh, a player, I think that would be great. Um, this country, uh, corn subsidies are ridiculous and they're mainly driven by the fact of Iowa um, for ethanol and things. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, we have crappy gasoline that is actually worse than regular gasoline just to appease Iowa. And it's mainly because of this primary process. So that makes me happy. Um, regarding the pod save, uh, folks, yeah, I mean, they're part of that system. I think when we talked about, uh, when we reviewed them, one thing we talked about was how networked they were within that world. And this is just the proof of it. So that's Claxton, yeah. We were talking about our review of uh, pod save and chapel trap house the other day and he and i think we wanted to go back and just uh, correct our review of, of pod save since you know they're very much like these latter shows that i just reviewed very much in the establishment mold and it's clear with who they have on the show um who they've supported and you know how they talk down about bernie at every opportunity and Chapo definitely goes to the other extreme in its wholehearted work 
raising class consciousness in this country and also raising an army of political malcontents to take back America uh, from the capitalist extremists out to destroy humanity. Oh, a few more. Just crazy. It's like dribs and drabs. Anything like, what was it, Woodbury County? Oh, yeah, from uh, 2016, uh, in which one person voted and they counted it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's quite a bit, actually. A precinct captain called Chris Swartz uh, released pictures on Twitter of his caucus results that didn't match what party headquarters had recorded and uh, 21 state delegates won by Bernie in Blackhawk County have been given to uh, Deval Patrick. Who? Yeah, I know, exactly. Don't they realize how stressed yeah. and fucked this country is right now? I know. Why can't they just do it properly? I know. Count the vote. Yep. Whoever gets more votes, that's the person who won. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. I guess it's a case of the devil being in the details or something. Is it fixed? Well, given all the uh, must-stop-Bernie meetings at the DNC that they've had that have been reported in the New York Times and other places, and then, you know, Hillary just popping up out of the ether to go on Ellen and Howard Stern for no good reason right before the election to just knife Bernie in the back... (laughs) And uh, and these, you know, weird drip, drip, drip of results that just seem to be adding this weird state delegate thing from Steve King's clan district, which just happens somehow in the Democratic Party to be weighted uh, so that they have more delegates than young urban areas or Latino minority areas. They're saying it's just incompetence. But if you were climbing a ladder and someone kept pushing you off it or extending the ladder or dropping paint on your head or cutting the legs off the ladder or or moving it, you'd have to be pretty stupid to think that there was no underlying sabotage at work. And if all the accidents seem to somehow benefit the status quo, who have gone on record through endless wealthy surrogates to say that they do not want to give everyone health care or fight climate change because, well, they've been bought by the medical insurance and fossil fuel lobby, then I guess you've got to say it's obviously fixed. Damn. So what does it mean? I don't know. I've just written to our senator and congressman, put them on notice, 
that we see what they're doing with this installing a billionaire Republican um, on the ballot at the last second. It's a total joke, but I guess uh, we'll just have to see what happens in New Hampshire. Find the fish. I wonder where that fish has gone. You did love it so. You looked after it like a son. And it went wherever I it did go. Is it in the cupboard? Oh, rest Wouldn't in peace, like Terry Jones. It was a lovely little fish. And it went wherever I did go. And now it's time to check back in with the lovelorn residents of Porcupine Romance Island. Open this second door. I got a text from my mum saying how she's disowned me for having sex with an animal. Are you kidding me? I never do that. Yes, we were in bed, and yes, I was drinking, but nothing happened. It crawled under the covers. If they've cut it to make it look like I did anything, I'll go mental. Plutocracy Hotline, this is Brad speaking. How can I help you? Oh my, oh my, the brown people are voting, the brown people are voting. Oh, oh my, we can't lock them all up. Calm down, Senator, it's going to be okay. We're deploying the Bloomberg. He's got so much money, he's unsinkable. Misconception, and you're hearing it here tonight is that the ideas I'm talking about are radical. They're not. In one form or another, they exist in countries all over the world. Healthcare is a human right. We have the necessity, the moral imperative, to address the existential threat of climate change. Other countries are doing that. We don't need more people in jail disproportionately African-American than any other country on Earth. Not a radical idea. The motto, the saying that, that moves me the most is from Nelson Mandela. And Mandela said, everything is impossible until it happens. And that means if we have the guts to stand up to powerful special interest, we're doing phenomenally well. If we can bring working people together, black and white and Latino, we can create a nation. All right, Senator. Where all people have a good Senator standard Moore, of living. Sir. Super Tuesday is almost here, folks. If you are lucky enough to be able to vote, I hope you do so. So that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please spread the word. And if you want to help me out, you can buy me a coffee by clicking the link in the show notes and on the webpage. The jazz is from Mario Romsic to Zone. 
I don't know who's providing your jazz, but I think you should switch to these cats. I'm heading down to Orlando next week for the Podfest, so the next episode may be even uh, more delayed than usual. But don't worry, I'll be back stronger and bigger and better than ever. Stay healthy and mind the gap. Bye bye.